morning. Welcome to Great Hills Baptist Church. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. Today is our text, verses 14 through 25. And as you're turning to uh, your copy of God's Word, whether it's on a tablet, a phone, or uh, the old-fashioned way of just grabbing one of these and opening it up, we'd love for you just to study God's Word with us today. My name is Danny Forshee, the pastor here at Great Hills, and we welcome you. Uh, as Trey welcomed our online worshipers a moment ago, I want to take a moment and do the same thing. Many of you, 500 plus, uh, worshiped with us last week online, and so God bless you. Thank you for joining us. And if you're ever close, you know, within a thousand miles, we'd love for you to come, you know, and just drive over here and worship with us collectively. Uh, we're delighted that you are, have tuned us in uh, today. Always a thrill to have family. Uh, we had a big birthday bash yesterday, about a four-hour party. Uh, our one-year-old grandbaby, Claire, uh, so she just blew it out, had the cake, the Minnie Mouse. I mean, it was, it was on like you just wouldn't believe. And we had a wonderful time, even had the great-grandparents come in and visit all the way from Alabama, Evelyn and Larry. God bless y'all. I'm glad y'all. Hello, Hannah. Jeffrey, y'all good? Little sweetie in the back. She is in there? Okay, good. She's little sweetie, and she's big sweetie. And so that's just, that's just how we roll here. And so I don't know, what, what am I, Papa Sweetie? Whatever. So anyhow, listen, I highly recommend being a grandparent. Anybody, any other grandparents here today? Amen. These are, we are the ones smiling and happy and so, so blessed. So man, what a fun, fun day it was yesterday. And then afternoon had funeral service for Linda Altenball right here about four o'clock. And I shared with the, the group yesterday, it really is, you know, a moment of compartmentalization as a pastor. You go from the euphoria of celebration of life and a one-year-old to mourning with those uh, who mourn. And so Linda Altenball is a precious Christian lady in our church, and so we had a, a wonderful time of worship uh, yesterday. But we're just glad that you're here today. I hope that you've come expecting to meet the Lord in His Word, and thank you, Corey, for leading us in worship. Brother Terry Hurt, our worship pastor, executive pastor, is in New Mexico skiing, and so they've had a wonderful time. Hope they make it back safely uh, tomorrow, but we're just so blessed here at Great Hills. So have our Bibles open. I'm going to read for you. Acts chapter uh, 8, verses 14 uh, through 25. But before I do, would you believe me if I told you that I play football for the Dallas Cowboys? Somebody said no. Real quick, hold on. Now, don't, don't judge too quick. Would you believe that I played high school football and college football. I know, I know, this is a big specimen of a man up here telling you that I played college football. Well, that is true that I did, but would you believe me if I told you that I have, I'm a bivocational pastor. Some Sundays I'm here, but the other Sundays I play for the Dallas Cowboys. Some of y'all are looking at me, you're smiling, you're going, okay, well, let me ask you something, Mr. Big Shot. Do you know uh, Dak Prescott? Do you know Sean Lee? Do you know Ezekiel Elliott? Do you know Jason Witten? And I would have to say, well, not really. I, I don't really know those guys personally. Do you have a helmet with a star on it? Do you receive millions of dollars from Jerry Jones? Uh, do, do you? And I would have to say to all of those uh, questions, no, I, I, I don't. And you would say, well, brother, you don't play for the Dallas Cowboys. You just think you play for them. When I come across this guy in the Bible named Simon, he says that he is a Christian. He says that I've accepted Christ and I have been baptized and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet his life 
does not bear that out. His profession of faith is not commensurate with the lifestyle or with the behavior that he lives. So any of us, right, we can make a profession, we can make a statement as outlandish as it can be, and when it's backed up by behavior, then it is vindicated, it's validated, it's substantiated. But when it cannot be backed up with behavior, then we would have to say you have been deceived or you have been duped. And that's precisely what we see with this gentleman here uh, in the Bible by the name of Simon. He's called Simon the Sorcerer. Do not confuse him with Simon Peter. In this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 8, you're going to, it's just one of those moving, riveting narratives of the Bible. I'm just so excited I get to preach. And this is a lot for me to preach 10, 11 verses. It, it borders on being a long sermon, so let me get going quickly. Here we go. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria had received the Word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. Peter and John would be the apostles or representative of the apostolic band. And so they are going to travel north to Samaria and they are going to check and see if it is true. Had the Samaritans believed on Jesus Christ and had they been baptized and had they been following the Lord? And so we've heard, now this is way before telephones and way before texting and way before uh, communication and internet. I mean, everything had, it moved at a snail's pace. And so for them to go to, from Jerusalem to Samaria would take quite a bit of time. And so they make their way there. And when they had come down, they prayed for them that they, the Samaritans, might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he, and I love the way Luke refers to the Holy Spirit, not as an it or a force, but a person, right? Because the Holy Spirit had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they, the Samaritans, received the Holy Spirit. And I would say to you, the same Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and all the manifestations of that, I believe with the same tongues of fire and with the same speaking uh, in other languages and, and this mighty movement of God, when the Holy Spirit came to Jerusalem, the same Holy Spirit came in Samaria. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Now, when Simon saw it, now remember, he is the pseudo-convert. He is the one who says, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saved and I'm baptized. And, but when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, <laughs> he, he reveals his true nature. He offers them money. And he said, give me this, not dunamis, but the Greek word there is exousian, which is a good translation would be, give me this apostolic authority. Give me the same authority that you guys have that anybody whom I, with Simon, there's a lot of me, myself, and I whenever he speaks, all right? And that should always be a good clue as to who we worship and to who we serve. If we talk all the time about just how we are and how I'm doing, me, myself, and I, then that reveals really more than perhaps that we realize. Give me this exousian. Give me this power that anybody that I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Verse 20, oh my goodness. Y'all just hold on to your hat. Uh, but Peter, and the title of my sermon today, by the way, is just boldness, just sheer boldness. And there are times when men of God need to speak in a more polemical way, a little harsher way, a little more confrontive or combative way when the situation warrants it, right? 
And I don't think Peter had any problem whatsoever just, just putting on that apostolic hat and he said to this, your money perish with you. Some translations of the Greek say, you and your money can go you know where. Yeah, that's, that's Peter. And J.B. Phillips literally translates it this way. You and your money can go you know where because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You, do ha you have no part in this matter. In other words, Peter is revealing to us, the reader, Simon, you, you are not truly a follower of Christ. You can't be because your heart is not right in the sight of God. You need to repent. Now, see, Peter treats him as he was an unbeliever. He said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This guy just accepted Jesus. He prayed the sinner's prayer. He got baptized. And now the apostle Peter is telling him, you, are a, a, you, you need to repent and you need to be saved. You see, Simon's behavior was not commensurate with his lofty profession. And it's the same way today. I mean, I can say I play for the Dallas Cowboys and I don't have any evidence, so I don't play for the Dallas Cowboys. You can say that you are a Christian today and you prayed the sinner's prayer and you were baptized and you're on your way to heaven and yet you live like the devil and the Bible would say, hold on. <laughs> hold on, perhaps you've had a pseudo spurious false conversion like this guy did. So Peter tells him, you need to repent of your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. Now, does this sound like a Christian? If you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And poor old Simon is shaking in his boots at this point. He goes, oh, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things that you have spoken may come upon me. So, now here's a great little transitional word. So they wrap up this whole scenario with Simon and then they, the apostles, would be Simon, Peter, and John. Oh, wow. I can't wait to talk to y'all about verse 25. I mean, we could preach a whole sermon just on verse 25. It is just it's so amazing. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it to you. We'll come back and look at it. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. And they preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So what if you were me today and you were tasked with preaching this passage of Scripture? <laughs> what in the world do we as Baptists do with the Holy Spirit coming again upon those people? I think a better question is, what do we as Christians, as followers of Christ, do with passages of Scripture like that? Well, what would you do if you had the task of preaching the text today about this pseudo-convert? And perhaps there are many here today and many listening online today who, like Simon, who have had a pseudo-conversion and need to be born again today. You say, well, that's why I'm glad I'm not you, brother. You just good luck with that and uh, you, you help us out and you try to explain this text. I just got to tell y'all something. This just jacks me up to no end. That I get the privilege of pouring my life into the Word of God, studying it, memorizing it, going to school forever. Some takes longer than others, amen. And just immersing my life into the Word of God, coming and standing publicly before the people of God underneath the anointing of the Spirit of God, and I get to teach the Word of God to the people of God. I'm telling you, friend, that to me is my greatest joy. I get to preach God's Word, the hard passages, 
as well as the easier passages. And so today, I'm just really glad you're here. I'm glad I get to share this message with you, and I'm so, I'm so excited. It just makes me want to pray. Anybody else want to pray with me? <laughs> I just want to pray. This is such a powerful passage of Scripture. I just want to ask the Lord for His help, okay? And I'm going to pray. I'm going to bend my knees. I'm going to get on my face. Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for the, the message of the gospel. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you've called me to share this message. You have assigned me to do it. Thank you, God, for your word. And Lord, we need your word. We need it today. I, I, I fear, God, that that's our problem in our great nation, that we have abandoned preaching the Bible. And so, Lord, today at Great Hills Baptist Church, I pray that we would be faithful to the task of being the people of God, loving you, loving your word, and being able to proclaim it. Lord, in a day, in a day when proclaiming the Bible has fallen upon hard, hard times. But Lord, today we ask for your anointing. Lord, I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. Lord, I know, and, I'm, and, and I know this, Jesus, to be true, that you are the vine and we are the branches. And that he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without you, Jesus, I can do nothing. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God would come upon me and anoint me and use me to teach the Word of God to the people today. And Lord, I just thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for the lives that are going to be changed. I thank you for the salvations that are going to be experienced. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good, good, good. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 8, the title of the sermon is Boldness. I've read the Word of God, and now I just kind of want to walk you through the passages of Scripture today. The first thing I want to share with you is this whole Samaritan Pentecost. And so if you're taking notes in your, in your outline there, it would be the Samaritan uh, Pentecost. Verse 14 tells us what's going on. The apostles who are in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had received the Word of God, and so they go down and they pray over them, and the laying on of their hands, as they prayed, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon the Samaritans. Now you may ask, but how could they already be Christians and the Holy Spirit has not come upon them in this demonstrative, conspicuous way? That is a great question, and here's how I want to answer it. Whenever somebody comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is operative. He is convicting. He is convincing. So as I'm preaching here today, if you're becoming uncomfortable, if there's a sense, a dimension in your life where you sense that something is not right, it could be the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Because here's what happens. When, when God draws us into Himself, the thing that He deals with is the barrier between Him and between us. So obviously... When Philip is preaching, the Samaritans are being convicted by the Holy Spirit and they are coming to faith in Christ. So, listen carefully. The Holy Spirit is at work internally. It's just this outward dimension has not happened yet and there are reasons, there are reasons for that and we're going to talk about them here in just a minute. The purpose of their visit, verse 15, is to pray. Verse 16, the Spirit had not fallen upon them as He had fallen upon the the Jerusalem believers in Acts chapter 2. But he is at work. John 3, 5 says, uh, it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the new birth. So you may be asking, well, what in the world uh, is going on? Well, something happened. 
Something so demonstrative happened that Simon saw it and he wanted, he wanted to buy, he wanted to buy it. He wanted to purchase it. So in this passage of scripture, there's a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of things going on. The apostles have come from Jerusalem. They pray for the Samaritans. The Holy Spirit comes in power and there Simon is. He, he wants to purchase it. He, he wants that authority and that power for himself. So I'm going to give you three reasons why the Holy Spirit was delayed in coming to the Samaritans until Peter and John came from the apostolic community in Jerusalem, okay? Number one is unity, is unity. You got to keep in mind that the Samaritans are still viewed as half-breeds by most of the world. You remember in 722, and this is why it's so important to do your homework and to do your history, without the historical context, we're not going to understand what is going on. So in 722, when the Assyrian Empire comes in and destroys the 10 northern tribes of Israel with its capital in Samaria, when they destroy them and send them into exile, here's what happens. The king of Assyria takes people from all over the world and relocates them into Samaria into northern Israel, and what happens is they intermarry with some of the Jewish people who are still there, and so now the Jews call them, you bunch of half-breeds. I know that is a very derogatory, mean thing. You shouldn't ever say that to anybody, but in the most of the Jewish population that the Samaritans, they lived on the other side of the track. They were the people that are lesser than us. Those are the people we do not fellowship with. In fact, John Harkanus in BC 134, he goes in and destroys the temple at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And so you've got this fight. You've got this big fight between the Jews and the Samaritans, not to mention the fight with the Gentiles. Are you with me? So... In God's sovereign mind and plan, there's going to be a Samaritan, there's going to be a Jerusalem Pentecost, there's going to be a Samaritan Pentecost, and praise God in Acts chapter 10, there's going to be a Gentile Pentecost. Do you know why? Because God was letting it be known. He is not respecter of persons. He has sent his son once and for all, and everybody who believes on him receives the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? When Peter and John came, saw the half-breeds, and when they prayed over them, and, they, and the Holy Spirit of God, watch this now, this is so important. The same thing that happened in Jerusalem is happening among the Samaritans. One writer puts it this way. By delaying the Spirit's coming until Peter and John arrived, God preserved the unity of his church. The apostles needed to see for themselves and give firsthand testimony to the Jerusalem church that the Spirit, yes, the same Holy Spirit has come upon the Samaritans. The Samaritans needed to learn that they were subject to apostolic authority. The Jewish believers and the Samaritans are now thus linked together forever in one body. So reason number one is unity. Reason number two is equality, is equality. You see, in God's mind and in his heart, there is no uh, separation between races and ethnic groups. I tell you, it's going to be an amazing thing. Isn't it going to be awesome when we get to heaven 
and there is no superiority. We are all, mm, mm, we just all one race, right? We're not the white race, we're not the black race, we're not the Indian race, we're not the European race, we're not whatever race. We are one race, the human race, who've been redeemed by the power of God and we worship God forever. But in the meantime, here on this earth, you, you think, you, you think it was hostile in the 50s and the 60s in the United States? If you could exponentialize that many times over, that is what is going on among the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles. So number one is unity. Number two is equality. There is equality among the groups. Let me give you a great passage of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing passage of Scripture. We, by one Spirit, were baptized in one body. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Doesn't matter if you're a Greek. Doesn't matter if you're a slave. Doesn't matter if you're free. We all have been made to drink into one body. 1 Corinthians 12. In order to us to get to that point, there needs to be this Jerusalem Pentecost. And now we're looking at the Samaritan Pentecost. In Acts chapter 10, we'll look at a Gentile Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost. The last reason is validity. Same Holy Spirit came to the believers in Jerusalem. It's now the Holy Spirit coming upon the Samaritans, and it's conspicuous. Our text doesn't say it, but every scholar that I read and that I trust say that when Peter and John laid hands on these Samaritans, that there was a mighty rushing wind, there was a speaking in other languages, there was the Spirit of God falling demonstratively upon the Samaritans. Writer says it this way, some special evidence may have been necessary to assure the Samaritans so accustomed to being despised, are you with me? They were so accustomed to being despised as outsiders by the people of Jerusalem that they were fully incorporated into the new community of the people of God. Wow. So that's what I think is going on with the Samaritan of Pentecost. I think for reasons of equality, for reasons of validity, for reasons that we say that is, that is this is God. This is God doing this so that the racism and the boundaries and the walls would fall so that people will know. Mm -mm -mm. When Jesus said, you are my witnesses, now go and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will witness for me in Jerusalem, Judea. Anybody know what's coming next? Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth or Gentiles. Having said that, this is why I do not believe that when a person is converted today, that there is another Pentecost. I just don't. I believe that 1 Corinthians 13, 12 puts it very succinctly. The Holy Spirit of God has come. He has manifested himself that he is the God of the Jews. He is the God of the Samaritans. He is the God of the Gentiles. And so now when somebody comes to faith in Christ, we know based on historical evidence that the Holy Spirit of God, he has come. He's the same spirit that saved the Jews, that saved the Gentiles, that saved the Samaritans. One more quote and I'll, I'll move on. This writer says, Today, believers receive the Spirit at salvation. There was no need for the delay now after Jews, 
Gentiles, Samaritans, and Old Testament saints are already now included in the church. Thank you, by the way, for allowing me to take about 15 minutes of your valuable time to be very didactic, to be very teaching-oriented, and to share with you some of you are looking at me like, well, that's just your opinion, and I think you're sorely mistaken, and I think that, well, that's okay. You can think that. And, uh, and I love passages like this because we have to wrestle with this, and I think that's why it's on the pastor, it's on the interpreter of, of Scripture to really dig deep and to, and to study and to share what he thinks the Word of God is saying. Having said that, if you see it differently and you're right, and I'm wrong, well, guess what? We're still going to love each other, praise God together, and we're still going to the same heaven. Some of you are looking at me and you don't get it. Some of you do get it. And you know that there are texts like this that are highly inflammatory among evangelical Christianity. So I think that's why it's important for me to share that with you. Was that so painful? Y'all help me. Was that just like was that just so boring and so awful that it just about just put you to sleep? Would, would y'all wake them up over here? There's a, there's a bunch of people sleep. I'm just kidding. I'm pointing at you, Ron Baker, but I know you're awake. God bless you. All right, let's keep studying God's Word together. Uh, verses 18 through 24, I've called this part Simon's Rebuke. The text now shifts back to Simon, and so now our sermon is going to shift back to uh, Simon. I shared with you um, in verse 18, he says he wants this power. You say, well, why does he want this power? I think Simon wants to be known. I think he wants to uh, be rich. I think he is way beyond walking with God. That was a farce. I think that he's still so enmeshed in being a person who's known, who has notoriety, and he wants people to know him so that if I have this kind of power and when I pray over people, bam, they receive. What was it? They just received the Holy Spirit. Man, then they will think that I'm pretty amazing like everybody thinks you're pretty amazing, Simon Peter and John. In verse 19, he says, give me this and I lay my hands upon. He's still absorbed with himself. Now, here's something that I came across that I thought was just absolutely stunning. Simon treats the Holy Spirit when he first, first initially comes in contact with him the same way he treated Jesus when he first came into contact with him. Did y'all get that? Remember last week I said, here's Simon's prayer of salvation. And, and they would say, well, pray to receive the Lord. Okay, how do I do that? Well, dear Lord Jesus. Okay, dear Lord Jesus, come, come save my soul. Okay, come my soul. Save my soul. You need to be baptized. Okay, I'm baptized. Okay, now what? What, what, what else? What else is in it for me? He did the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God has come in power. Okay, good, good, good. So how do I get that? And how, how do I, how, how does that make me look better? I mean, no, no, no. He, he is revealing himself as being a pseudo convert to Christianity, and he is going to be thoroughly, soundly rebuked by none other than Simon Peter. With great boldness, Peter sees through Simon. He rebukes him for his phoniness, and I'm telling you, it was powerful. In verse 21, again, this apostolic, authoritative rebuke of Simon. By the way, these are just not things that you say to people who are genuinely Christians. I don't know about you, but I have great respect for people who love God enough 
to speak the truth of God even when it is incredibly unpopular. We were talking in the funeral yesterday and somebody gave a testimony of Linda. Linda Altenball was a, uh, was a nurse for 30 years, had many nurses underneath her, and she was in surgery one time and a surgeon took an instrument and got mad at one of his nurses and threw the instrument at the nurse. And Linda saw that and she spoke up. Praise God for people speaking up. And she said, sir, I just want to let you know something. If you ever do that again, there will be nobody in here to help you perform your surgery. And I thought, well, good for her. She had the audacity and the backbone to stand up and Simon Peter stands up to Simon the sorcerer and says, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. True story, Peter Cartwright was a Methodist circuit rider. <laughs> Methodist circuit riders, y'all, just strong as goat's breath. They were just a different breed of pastors. They were, I mean, they would ride in saddles 15 hours a day. They would go to these little country places. They would preach the word of God. And this was during the time of the second great awakening. And Peter Cartwright was just one of those. And he's preaching the word in Tennessee and they're having, I mean, they're, they're having a, a, a big meeting and it got the attention of President Andrew Jackson. And Andrew Jackson came to the revival service. True story. And somebody ran up to Peter Cartwright and just like today, if Donald Trump were to come in through those doors, many of you would find me and say, the president of the United States is in the house. What do you think about that? And here is the truth of what Andrew Jackson told the person, I mean, excuse me, Peter Cartwright told the person, go tell the president of the United States the following message. <laughs> Are y'all ready for this? Tell him this. I am so glad that you have come. Now, if you don't repent, you are going to hell just like the rest of them. Woo! That's what he told them. And they went to the president of the United States and said, I have a message to deliver to you. Can you imagine? No, come on. I have a message to share with you that the pastor, Peter Cartwright, said, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, that, that's, that's what he said. President Andrew Jackson said these words, you go tell your preacher friend that if I had more men like him, I would never lose a battle. I think that's pretty amazing. And that's why I'm, oh goodness, should I even go there? I probably made, I'll probably gonna make some people mad but I'm getting on a plane, I'm about to take off and going to Kentucky to preach. And so if you look for me, you won't find me. I'll be in Kentucky. But I will be back on Tuesday if you want to fuss at me and argue with me. Can I speak to these people for just a minute, Daniel? Can I speak to these people? Can I speak to men of God, James? If we so become enamored with a person or a politician, and we can't say the truth that something is wrong 
with our Christianity. We must be able to say, thus saith the Lord. And y'all know that I've been critical of Barack Obama. I've been critical of Donald Trump and I'll be critical of everybody else because I have a higher power and authority and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can judge, you can judge me for that. And I don't care, I don't. Because as long as I am speaking the truth and, and, and sharing the message of the gospel, then as a man of God behind the desk of God, let us speak the truth of God even though it's unpopular. Goodness gracious, it's 11.53. And I think we're somewhere on point two and... But can I say this? Doesn't matter what stripe of politician they are, Republican or Democrat or independent. And this is really going to get me in trouble. But if they stand for life and they stand for religious liberty and they stand for appointing conservative judges, they're going to get my vote every time. That's, that's, just, that's just how I feel about it. Okay, nice seeing y'all. God bless you. Have a good afternoon. We'll see you next time. All right, so we're talking about Simon's rebuke. I've talked to you a little bit about Andrew Jackson, and now I want to talk to you a little bit about Yes, I got to move forward. Number 3, the spread of the gospel. So this is the part I read a moment ago, and I really couldn't wait to get to this part because in verse 25, it just it just goes back to the centrality of the gospel and the spread of the gospel among the Samaritans. Guys on the PowerPoint, can y'all go to verse 25 again? I want to show the church something I thought was really, really cool. Can y'all go back to verse 25 of Acts chapter 8? I'm going to share this with you. It won't take me but just a minute. Some, some Greek and some information, and I want to share it with you. Do y'all have it, verse 25? Calling verse 25, Roman, I mean, Acts chapter 8. Okay, here, let's do it the old-fashioned way. Are you ready? If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 8, verse 25. So when they had testified, the Greek word there is martyreo. Are you with me? John and Peter, they have dealt with the Samaritan issue. The Holy Spirit of God, praise Him. He has come in power, validating the salvation of the Samaritans, just like the salvation of the Jews who were converted to Christ. And now they have dealt with Simon, they have thoroughly rebuked him, and now they get back to the business at hand, and that is, verse 25, they testified, martyreo, now watch this, and they laleo preached the word of God. Mm -mm. Look at this. They were going throughout the Samaritan villages, and they are preaching the gospel, and they are, they're willing to lay down their lives, become martyrs to share this gospel. For those who receive the Lord, they take the moment, the time to laleo, which means to teach and to speak the word of God. Okay, verse 25 again. Watch this. It just gets gooder and gooder. Watch this. They return to Jerusalem preaching the gospel. That's the Greek word, euangelizomai. So you've gone from martyreo to laleo to euangelizomai. Uangelizomai is the root word, are you with me? For evangelism. 
And so Peter and Peter and John, praise God, the apostles, they're going out through Samaria and they are preaching the word of God. And those who receive the gospel, those who are evangelized, they take the time to teach them the word of God and disciple them. They're doing precisely what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. I thought that was so rich. Verse 25, preaching the gospel in all the villages of the Samaritans. That's what I call the spread of the gospel. Came across another Chinese uh, brother that I thought was really interesting, and I want to talk about him for just a minute. Come to find out, Dr. Wang, Ming Wang, y'all remember me talking about him? couple, was that last week? I can't even, I think it was. Somebody in Nashville, Tennessee, got my devotional that I wrote about Ming Wong. We have about 4,000 people reading these devotionals that I, that I write. One of them is in Nashville. She says, my sister-in-law works with Dr. Wong. We sent your devotional to him. He really likes it and he's going to contact you. And he did. He contacted me and said, whoa, that's all right. I want to send you a free copy of my book. I'm going to autograph my book. And I'm like, whoa, would you like to come to Great Hills Baptist Church and address our church and speak, speak to our church? Wouldn't that be cool? And so we've invited him to come. And Dr. Wong is going to come. And I hope he is. <laughs> if you're watching this, I don't know what your fee is, but maybe you'll bless us. Give us a discount and come and speak to our church. And wouldn't that be an amazing thing to hear one of the top eye surgeons in all the world, MIT graduate, Harvard graduate, and to come and share with us, not about surgery, but about how his life has been transformed by the grace gospel of Jesus Christ. I look forward to that. Hopefully it works out. Y'all let's pray that it works out. Okay, so let me talk to you about UG. UG. Y-U, first word. Second word is J-I-E. He had the boldness of the Apostle Peter after he was converted in 2003, and he confronted the prime minister or the president or the premier, whatever you want to call the leader of the Communist Party in China before the current president. His name was, okay, here we go, Wen Jinbao. Jinbao. I literally wrote that down phonetically so I could pronounce it to you. That's how you say it. Jibao. Good. Good job. Don't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back. And they told him, they said, Sir, if you continue to be a vocal critic of the undisputed leader of the Communist Party, we are going to punish you. And by the way, things have not changed in China since 2003. They arrested Yuji. They tortured him. They beat him for a year and a half from 2010 to 2012. And then they released him. He got out. He lives today in Virginia with his wife and with his son. He's a brilliant, um, I mean, gifted, gifted writer and 
best-selling author, if you will. But they said, tell us, how did you come to faith in Christ? And why are you serving Him so faithfully today? And here's what he said. He said, I became a Christian because of two reasons. Number one, in China, they don't believe in intrinsic uh, original sin. But he said, somebody gave me a Bible and I read the New Testament and I thought, wow, there is something to sin, the sin nature. I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. In fact, that's why Jesus came to redeem us from original sin. And so he said, that was reason number one. Reason number two. Now, here's this gifted, brilliant mind in China. In 2003, he reads about the love of God. He said, the sinfulness of man and the love of God, that God would love me so much that he would send his son Jesus to die for me and rise from the dead. He said, so I gave my life to Christ. And he continued to boldly speak out against Chinese oppression and, uh, and just being a voice for the people. And they said, well, how can, we, how can we pray for the Christians in China? And I wrote down what he said, and I, I, want to, I want to share this with you. And he said something like this. Pray for us. Pray that we can have the full freedom of religion like you have. Pray for us that those in Chinese prisons and labor camps, and pray for us finally, listen to this, listen to this, church. I tell you, what I'm about to say to y'all just about gives me a, a, a fit. I mean, a good fit kind of way. I'm just going to try to read it with, without jumping up and down being crazy, okay? Pray for us that the church in China would practice pure Christianity from the Bible. Oh, that's what I want in our nation, that we would practice pure Christianity that has been prescribed for us from the Word of God. I always love reading stories and illustrations about people who are, who are bold, whether it's Linda Altenball, whether it was UG, or whether it's the Simon, uh, the Apostle Peter. And so I want to close my message with, with just a couple of thoughts, and, and then we will pray, and then we will go. As a child of God, as a follower of Christ, I don't know how much longer we have, I really don't, to enjoy the freedoms. We may be an election or two away from not enjoying the freedoms that we so enjoy. And I've said this before at Great Hills, and I'm going to say it again, and I pray, y'all pray for me, that if things change dramatically over the next 10, 20 years, that I would faithfully preach the Word of God, though it would cost me maybe my life or at least my freedom. Please don't be so naive, America, to think that we're just going to be exempt from all kinds of trial and tribulation. As long as we are continuing in the vein that we're continuing to reject God categorically, then when we receive the judgment of God, we shouldn't complain about it, right? But if we do, would y'all pray for me that I would speak the Word of God just as boldly today? And it's unpopular. Let me just tell you again. How incredibly what I've shared with you today is so unpopular in evangelical Christendom today. But can you imagine how unpopular it would be if socialism or communism were to reign in the United States of America? Pray for me that I would have that kind of boldness. Now watch this. I'm going to pray for you that you would have that kind of boldness. That you today would live a life that is 
committed to Christ, full of, of authority, that you would not just have the profession from your lips, but you would have the commensurate lifestyle and the behavior so that people would recognize you as a true follower of Jesus Christ, practicing pure religion from the Word of God. Okay, that's that my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Now, having said that, if you don't know the Lord today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Him, you may be watching us on that thing, the internet, almost said TV, but you may be watching us on your television, or you may be here at 10,500 Jollyville, and it could very well be that you have had what the Bible would refer to as a false conversion. And it goes something like this, I play for the Dallas Cowboys. And yet I have no jersey, I have no helmet, and I have no millions of dollars, and I don't know any of the players, but I play for the Dallas. No, you don't. You just don't. Well, I, I prayed the prayer, and I got baptized, and I have no desire really to serve God. I don't really even believe the Bible anymore. I believe any lifestyle is just as valid as any other lifestyle, and I really don't have a desire to share my faith. Give what? Give tithe? Give money to the church? Have you got to be kidding? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? But I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Amen. And I know I'm going the road to glory because that's all you got to do, right? No. No. We are not saved by works, but we are saved by the Holy Spirit of God. And if we are genuinely saved, we were going to act like it. We're going to act like it. We're going to have a joy of the Lord. We want to share our faith. We want to give our tithes and offerings. We want to be baptized. And we want to stand strong for the Lord, come what may. You say, well, what do I need to do? You need to repent. You need to be born again by the Spirit of God. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. Mm, mm, mm. Watch this, watch this. I do what I do because I am who I am. And the Spirit of God wants to change that in your life today. Say, Lord, forgive me for being a fake. Forgive me for saying one thing and living another thing. Spirit of God, come into my life and save me, genuinely save me, and change me from the inside out. If that's you today, oh, I pray that you would do that. And I pray that you would follow through in believer's baptism like I did when I was a preacher and got saved and went to the baptistry. And I just believe eternity is for keeps. And I did not want to doubt or think or worry for the rest of my life whether I was really going to heaven or not. Father, I thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for this hard passage of Scripture that is full of duplicity and hypocrisy, that is full of apostolic authority and rebuking. And whoo, Lord, it wears me out reading it and studying it and preaching it. But thank you, God, that we get to do it. And we get to practice pure religion from the Bible. Lord, I pray today that someone can get beyond their anger and their hurt, and they would say, you know what? I need the Lord. I need Jesus Christ to genuinely save me and change me. Father, I pray for Christians today who are out of fellowship with you. Lord, they are the most miserable people in the world. Lord, they know better. And they have that conviction and they know that they need to, they need to turn back to you and serve you like they once did. And God, their love for you is growing cold. But Lord, thank you that you love them and that you are drawing them back into a relationship with you. So Lord, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God who has come. And we just pray now, Lord, that you would move upon this congregation. And God, you would move upon that congregation uh, cyberspace, cyber world, and that, Lord, you would touch, convict, and draw people to yourself. And this is my prayer. 
In Jesus' name, and all God's people said what? Amen and amen. Let's all stand. Corey, you lead us in a song of invitation. I'm going to be praying and asking God to do what only God can do. So, Corey, you lead us as we come.